Welcome to Prop Talk, episode number five. Uh, I'm Chris Call, the chairman of the uh, Education Committee for the Property Masters Guild and your host of today's episode. Today I'm joined by uh, the president of the Property Masters Guild, legend Hope Parrish. She doesn't like that word, but I think it's appropriate. Um, <laughs> who is joining me today to welcome a very special guest, our first guest from another craft. Certainly one of the most important collaborations a property master has on a film. That would be the craft of set decoration. And as set decorators go, we have the holy grail of set decorators with us today, <laughs> in my humble opinion and many others, uh, the incomparable Nancy Haig. Uh, I had the great fortune to work with Nancy on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but her resume is off the charts. I often tell people that if I were to make up the most impressive set decoration resume, I would copy and paste Nancy Hague's. <laughs> Here are some of the highlights, so bear with me. Um, Nancy's done many, many films. Um, I, I'm going to start with Bugsy, was uh, uh, one from a while ago, and you also uh, won an Oscar for that. And then uh, Barton Fink, and you went on to, I could name less, there's less um, Coen Brother films that you haven't done than you, <laughs> than you have done. So Barton Fink was one. Miller Crossing, which I've said before, is one of my all-time favorite movies of all time. Um, uh, the Grifters, uh, Field of Dreams, Earth Girls Are Easy. Was that your first? First one was Earth Girls Are Easy. Right, nice. Yeah. Um, intolerable cruelty, cruelty, Road to Perdition, AI, Artificial Intelligence, it goes on and on. Um, uh, oh Brother, Where Art Thou, another one of my favorite films. Uh, the Truman Show, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Mars Attacks, Waterworld, Forrest Gump. <laughs> Good God. Hutsucker Proxy, you did do that. I thought you didn't. You did. Yeah. Uh, A Serious Man, Burn After Reading, Charlie Wilson's War, No Country for Old Men, Dream Girls, Jarhead, Lady Killers, Big Fish, of course, uh, True Grit, Moneyball, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, August Osage County, Hail Caesar, Cafe Society. I mean, it's insane. Um, and also you did the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, so you got to work with one of my heroes, Tom, Tom Waits. Oh, yeah, that was a great <laughs> episode. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then most recently, The Tragedy of Macbeth and The Gray Man. And I believe you just... You just finished another, an Ethan Cohen. Yeah, film. after doing Macbeth. Oh, by the way, thank you for that intro. Yes. Wow. I don't, I'll try to live up to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> after, after working with Joel alone on Macbeth, and then to get the call from Ethan, who was doing one with his wife that he had written 12 years ago, that was the complete opposite of Shakespeare, uh, it was like a really special time. Now, was that the first time that you've worked with them separately? Yeah, that's the first time they've worked separately. Wow. Yeah. Was it a much different? Oh, yes. <laughs> it was totally different. Um, and they are, their styles are so different. Joel is um, much more uh, hands-on, much more um, intense. Mm -hmm. uh, Ethan's much very laid back. I see. And then he had sort of a partner in his wife, Tricia, uh, uh, because they co-wrote it, and she, she was there the whole time, too. Wow. So that was interesting, because she was like a kid in the candy store. Uh, she um, it was her first... Well, I won't say it was her first time, but on, on this level with Ethan, it was the first time. Wow. I think they had a wonderful experience. Separately in, on each film? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, I often wonder how that works, 
worked with the two of them directing at the same time. I mean, or did they do that, or was it more like one was a writer and the other one directed? Like, uh, no, uh, they she was right there the whole time, and I think in general they were they had talked it all out, they mm -hmm. had it all planned. You know, when you do a Coen Brothers movie, even with them separately, it's completely storyboarded. Right. So, if uh, if the storyboard shows a window in a certain place or a door, uh, and the designer ignores that. That's like suicide. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, they, there's a reason why they do that. And they storyboard every frame. And they've had the same storyboard artists since the beginning. Really? J. Todd Anderson. Wow. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. And, and that must help you in so many ways. It's fantastic. And, right? I mean, it's because fantastic. for me, I know, and for props, it's all, you know, people say that, oh, well, you have a director who's, like, demanding. It's like, I'd rather have a, de a demanding director than one who doesn't know what they want because then you're constantly trying to figure out what they want. Yeah. So I appreciate having, you know, a storyboarded is fantastic because you know exactly what they're looking for. You yeah, know, especially and, in a set And, and, and I think there's a lot uh, that don't know how to use that as a tool mm. uh, or they um, they never find the right person to to create those storyboards that can express uh, and not be hung up with the detail because it's fast and you know it's just this is the action this is where they're going to fall this is where they're going to jump this but it isn't just the action of um, stunts or any of that it's 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 all of it right it's, it's all of it now do those storyboards come to you right when you begin or is it something that's transpiring as you're prepping yeah no no you you um Usually the storyboards are worked out partially by the three of them ahead of time. But then once the DP comes on, like in most cases it was Roger Deakins, uh, lately it's been Bruno de Hamel, uh, then they like to get involved because they actually choose the camera angles, they choose what lens they're going to use, they choose where they're going to put the camera, and so that really tightens it all up. And then once they're happy, uh, then they publish it as a book. Right. And the department heads are all given uh, a copy of it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, so I'm going to back up a little bit. <laughs> Where are you from originally? Boston. Can Boston. you tell? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, your accent is not that. Boston. Nice. Yeah. And uh, and did you go to school there as well? Uh-huh. I went to uh, Massachusetts College of Art, majored in sculpture, and... After that, moved to New York, thought I'd be a, oh, have to throw the word in, famous artist. We're never just an artist, right? right. I'm going to be a famous artist. <laughs> of course. Um, and then um, didn't really, uh, didn't, wasn't crazy about it. Mm. Uh, the art part I was, the sure. New York part I wasn't. Um, so I, offered a, I got offered a position at graduate school at Berkeley. So we're talking 69, so it right. was kind of a cool time to yes. be in Berkeley. <laughs> I'll say. Uh, so I went to graduate school and, um, and um, stayed in Berkeley uh, for a long time. Mm. And so what, at what point did you start transi transitioning into film? Well, <laughs> I was breaking up with my boyfriend after about 15 years, mm. and I needed to get out of Dodge. And I, at the time, was working for... Francis Coppola, he had a magazine. And for money, I nice. would work for magazines. I worked for Rolling Stone, I worked for Francis. And oh. he was off to um, do Rumblefish okay. in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So 
uh, he offered me a job. Well, and your job on that was? Well, it was the fork in the road. He said, it's two things you can do. You can work for the producer uh, and learn that side of the right. biz, or you can work for the production designer. But I'm warning you now, if you work for him, he will make you cry. And I was like, give me a break. This guy's not going to make me cry. Well, Dean Tavalaris made me cry. <laughs> wow. And you yeah. still stuck with it. I did. I mean, I mean, I did. So what, what, what excited you about set decoration? I mean, it, it wasn't set deck. I was an art department coordinator right? and had no clue about set deck, except I was... I, they had put me up in a PA house with seven guys from UCLA and USC Film School, and I was the only female, and the set decorator on the movie took pity on me because <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> pathetic. One, Two bathrooms, two bathrooms, Not but thankfully. still seven yeah. guys. Um, so she had an extra room in her condo, and so she let me stay there. And so that was really the only exposure to the concept right. of set deck. It still wasn't on my radar. Interesting. Yeah. And so walk me through that. Where, what was what? What's the next step on the path that led you to set decoration? We came back from Tulsa, and Dean and his brother Alex, and uh, this gentleman Dennis Gasner, mm -hmm. uh, we all went to work at American Zoetrope nice. and formed a little company, Tavalaris Design, and. At that point, uh, it became obvious that Dennis was going to go off on his own. Mm. And so when he did, he said, you want to you wanna work with me? So the first movie he got was called The Hitcher, okay. the first Hitcher. There's been a, um, another Hitcher since then. But the one with Rutger Hauer and C. Tommy Howell and okay. uh, Jennifer Jason. Lee? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was, um, that was my first exposure, but not to set deck. The set decorator was, uh, I believe, Richard Hoover. No, no, Ray Fox. Ray Fox and Linda Burbank. Okay. And then we found them the next movie, Wisdom, with Emilio Estevez, Richard Hoover. I see. And uh, I did I did some work for Richard Hoover. Oh, what a pistol he <laughs> is, huh? Uh, love Absolutely. that guy. Absolutely. Yeah, love that guy. Fantastic. And then, um, you know, I, I was being an assistant art director, but I was like watching... Uh, and, s and realizing that it was, was a lot more fun for me to pay attention to furniture and lighting and wallpaper and all that other stuff and construction. I love paint, but construction just kind of bored me. Yeah. So I said, Dennis got this movie <coughs> called uh, uh, Earth Girls Are Easy, and I said, Den, I want to be the set decorator. And I hate to tell you guys this, but that's all it took. <laughs> Hey, well, I mean, he <laughs> said, <starts> okay. <laughs> well, that was in the, the good old days, right? Yeah, the mid-80s, right. right. Non-union mid-80s. Yeah, exactly. So you did a lot of non-union in, in your early days, obviously. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, as we all did. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that's kind of where the nuts and bolts were, right? I, I, I didn't get in the union, and Bugsy was my first union picture. Wow. And what an education, because the rules are so different. Yes. And uh, it, was, uh, it was quite something that yeah. time, especially because we did it, uh, Barton Fink, which was non-union, and then we go into uh, Bugsy, which was union, and it was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, what was your introduction, introduction to the Coen brothers? Uh, Miller's Crossing. Wow. Yeah, Miller's Crossing. Dennis uh, interviewed for the job, 
and that was magic. Ooh, I'll say. Oh God, that was I can't even express to you what a fond memory. New Orleans at the time, 1987 or right. 88, and it not being New Orleans, you know, mythical city, 1920s. Uh, it was um, it was wonderful. Yeah, I'll yeah. bet. Yeah, I mean, I re- the opening shot of that film with the ice cube going in the glass. I, that's why to this day I demand real ice because it's like that just got my attention right yeah. from the get go. Yeah, and every frame of that film is yeah. a masterpiece yeah. to me. And of course, you did it. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so you've worked with uh, many of the top production designers in the business. Um, what do you look for in a collaboration with a, a production designer? I mean, are there, and are there red flags that make you not take a show? Oh, sure. I, I think, especially looking back, um, maybe in the early years I wasn't so picky, but in the later years it's crucial that you check out their personality, <laughs> number one, <laughs> and uh, you check out what other people have to say about how they treated you, because they can act one way right. when you meet them, and then they can be a monster. Right. Uh, and uh, so it, it, it's it's a big deal. Uh, and then I, of course, want to know who's running the show, who's mm-hmm. uh, who's the line producer, who's the controller, who's the unit manager. I mean, it, it's really come down to people. Right. I mean, I hope a project's a good project, but then if I'm never going to even go down that road if I'm not. Right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a Marvel comic kind of person. Sure. I hear you. Or sci-fi person. Right. And as far in in speaking to that, um, are you a big movie buff? I mean, do you watch a lot of movies? Had you watched a lot of movies? Did you have a love for film? I had a really special childhood in that my grandfather, who was an undertaker, and so therefore part-time work, so to speak, um, at the local theater changed twice a week. And from the time I was in third grade till sixth grade, so about four years, he would pick me up twice a week from school, and we would go to see a double matinee. Nice. And, I mean, mostly it was those crazy westerns that Quentin loves, you know, all those 50s things, but I just, that memory of going, so I kept that up my whole life until COVID. Wow. Until COVID, yeah. I would go to the movies when I wasn't working several times a week. Right, so it was always about the theater then. It was always about it, yeah, but um, not in the last three years. Sure. Well, I uh, I noticed when we were on well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we were on a, uh, a tech scout one day, and I was sitting across from you on the bus, and I noticed you had all these clippings from like newspapers and magazines that you had with you, and you were reading them, and I, I, I took note of that and I was like wow that's fantastic you like because there was some thought that went into it that you had found things that you wanted to read and keep up on is that like something that you've been you've always done yes I have um that's so interesting that you noticed that Chris um I uh my whole life I'm a a magazine junkie but and that comes from my my work history before film Mm -hmm. which was always magazines and um I'm I'm a relic in that today I still have a a lot of subscriptions. I know they're dying off and, and pretty soon we won't be having them anymore. But I love I don't Kindle, I read books. Mm-hmm. I don't like um I don't like to do it electronically. And so what happens 
you're always standing in line somewhere. You're at the bank or you're at the store. And so I keep these in my bag, uh, and I'll pull something out uh, and read it. Uh, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the moment sure. that we're in, but it's catching up on reading material. <laughs> right. Instead of pulling your phone out, you pull out a... Yeah, all right. Oh, Although no, I, I did discover Wordle recently. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so Jesus. addicted to Wordle. <laughs> that is, like, ridiculous. Not so much the spelling bee, but the Wordle. Yeah. Got to start the day with it. Yeah, I do both, actually. Spelling bees, another one of my... I mean, I'm, like, up at... Like, like last night, I was up at 11.30 trying to get to genius level. And I'm like, oh my God, I gotta go to bed. I gotta do talk to Nancy Haig tomorrow. Are you? How, if, just don't tell me that you get to genius level very often because no, I don't want to hear it. No, only when it's like under a hundred word count. You know? <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, no, I thought that that was really sweet. I, I love that, um, and I just because again, it it's pointed out to me that you care about. What you're put, what you're reading, and what you're putting out there in your in your process for doing it, and then and it also remind me of that's how you are as a decorator. Okay, I mean, again, we have all worked on films where, again, and I've mentioned this before, you walk into a police station set, and there's a typewriter, there's a tape roll, and there's some files, and there's a lamp, and then you're like, that's it. Okay, that's level one. Right, and it's like a lot of decorators, older or younger decorators, or not as good decorators, don't understand the levels. You, my dear, <laughs> are the master of levels again. And I've told this story before, and I will tell it again. And once upon a time in Hollywood, when I walked into Cliff's trailer, and there was the jacket that you had found for the stuntman's motorcycle <laughs> gang or whatever yeah, the hell it was. And yeah. it was like, wow, did she make that up? It's like, no, it's absolutely real. And it was just like thrown over the chair back. I mean, that's like a level that's phenomenal to me. I mean, talk about that for me. I mean, what, what, what what's your process for that? I mean, obviously you just have to feel like you've got to really dig into the character. I think it's so important that we get satisfaction out of what we're doing as well as as the actors, and so that level it just makes it more interesting for me as a decorator to pursue. Right. Um, it, 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 I, I think back. There was one movie, um, Insider, with Michael Mann and Russell Crowe, and it, it was about the whistleblower Jeffrey Wigan in the tobacco industry. Mm. And I remember the the Saturday before we were going to start shooting. Uh, Russell's um, apartment in um, house in um, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and Russell wanted to rehearse in his set, and so M Michael asked me to come by, and so I'm just there. I'm not on. I'm outside, you know, for whatever. And next thing you know, I get asked to come in, and I hadn't. I had put things in the drawer of of the of the desk, but nothing specific, just some things in case he opened a sure. drawer. And Russell had developed this entire character in that moment, and by Monday wanted the most bizarre things, like a complete <laughs> set of Japanese uh, pens and writing equipment and this and that. And it, it wasn't going to fall to props because he wasn't going to do anything to it. Sure. But the list was unbelievable. And wow. I'm thinking... Monday, Monday, <laughs> and Michael walked me out and said, "Just see what you can do," 
And, uh, and so the hunt went on, right. and we found a, a, a calligrapher uh, uh, in Indiana, next state over, wherever, and we drove up there on a Sunday, uh, and she gave us the complete package. Wow. And that was like a real learning curve, because you never know. The director may not do it to you, but if the actor does it to you, you're going to have to deal with it. There you go. And that's and again, that's the crossover for me for with props and set deck is, and that's what I appreciate with you because we we're having to do that all the time, you know, make making sure that we understand with who the character is and helping to develop that character, yeah, yeah. and I it's so beautiful when we can walk into a set and the set decorator is thinking the same way, okay, like I know um, um mayor of when wait what's it called the um, mayor of Easttown, mm-hmm. okay, there's a scene where uh, she is going through. She's having a conversation with her family in the kitchen, and I don't know. I think she's looking for a a bottle opener, yeah, for a beer. She was going through every single drawer, rummaging through every drawer in the. And I'm assuming that maybe that that wasn't scripted. You know, she just came in and wanted to do that, and and to be able to have every drawer open. I mean, because again, how many times hope that we've been on a set where you go to open a drawer, it just doesn't open at all. It's completely fake. Right. 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 Herbert Ross always said, "If there's a door here, I want to have something on the other side of it. If there's a drawer here, it needs to open. You can't just, you know, because they want full run of the set and and be able to let them have longitude to do all those things." That's so true. I I think that's a. You've hit on a very important issue too, uh, Chris, in that early on, I want to sit with the prop master. Mm -hmm. I want to talk it all out. Right. And it really drives me crazy that production doesn't want the prop master to start when I start. Right. They don't understand how important it is that you have enough time. Right. To develop these things now, maybe you'll, they might say, "Oh, you're not going to have any actors," you know. But yes, but you you can prep things so well uh, and be prepared, and maybe bring your own stuff to the table. Exactly. And uh, they just um, that that's an ongoing issue for me of how little respect uh, production seems to uh, give the position. Well, I mean, again, <laughs> you our hero when it comes to that. I mean, because it, it is something, it is one of the things, one of the reasons that we created the Property Masters Guild, because we have lived under this monicum of we're the silent ninjas for a long time, which is a great thing because, you know, we want to be there on set. We want to be providing everything that you need and not making a fuss for the, you know, the jack of all trades. We get, we fix things that need to get fixed and then we just fade off to the background. And I think that that notion that we have is not necessarily worked in our favor as far as getting acknowledged for what we do. And again, you know, you stand above most people when it comes to that, Nancy, in being able to acknowledge the craft. Okay, and that's why you're sitting here at the table with us as well, other than the fact that you're the best set decorator in the world. Oh, but uh, thank you. Um, it, it, I, uh, I, as a member of the uh, Academy, um, and for a long time, no longer because I'm too disillusioned with them, uh, the executive committee, uh, early on, you know, we were allowed to sponsor two people every year for membership. And I shifted gears to prop masters because, right. uh, and it was, it was amazing uh, how uh, the, the 
resistance. Right. And uh, it took a while, but um, the other resistance is to location managers. Right. And um, the arrogance of some of these people with, they only do what I tell them to do. Oh, really? You're out there all day scouting? Right. Yeah, you know, look at James Lynn, a master at, at, as a scout, or Janice Pauly and, and um, her sidekick. These are these are Lori Bolton. These are these people are artists, right? And they bring as much to the table uh, as I do, and as props does, right? And uh, I, I, it's it's been a struggle, but I think we've made a little progress. But sure, uh, what do you think the resistance was for Property Master? Pardon? What do you think the resistance was for bringing Property Masters into the academy? The resistance? Yeah. A, a lack of understanding of what you really bring to the table. Right. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, so the first one you brought in was Brad Einhorn, is it? Brad. Yeah. Brad, yeah. And then I did get James Lynn in, uh, locations. Um, it's, 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 there's an arrogance there that I wish would disappear. And maybe when the older members aren't on those committees anymore and it's made up of younger people, maybe that'll be a good thing. Yeah. You can speak to this too, right, Hope? <laughs> You've well, had this experience. I was, there's two couple of big notions in my life where Nancy has impacted my heart and my thought pattern and my the graciousness that you show to our collaborative team that have worked with you over the years. I mean, I, I'm one of those kids sitting in the, not kid, I was well into my career, but when I sat saw the, on Bugsy, the awards, and you thanked Jerry Moss from the stage, I was over the moon. It just, it filled my heart because it had never happened before. And my dad and I were both just like, wow, you know, and I come from third generation property masters and I kind of know a little bit of lore about why we were not part of the academy. But at the end of the day, the contribution that we give, if you have a great relationship with your decorator is one that's amazing. I mean, I love working with decorators where I can have a conversation and they know the character too. It is so important for the set decorator to read the script. I have read, talked to so many decorators that don't read the script and it's like, what do you mean? Half of the dialogue is part of what the room looks like. And at the end of the day, it's just like accountants not reading the script. How can you budget a show if you don't read the script? So for me, it's, it's engaging. And what you did, I worked with you before, and, and you know, the collaboration, you know, you come in with your layer of character, and then I get to come in on top of that and add a little more detail and have fun just as much as you do. My father always said, find your Marvin March. Find your Marvin March hope. He said that was just the most amazing relationship. I did eight, nine movies with him. Yeah. And I have. I found it through you. I found it through Victor Zolfo. I found it through people that were just like, hey, let's bring this together. And, and I don't understand the non-conversation that doesn't happen between props and set decorators these days. It's, it just shocks me that there's this divide because we're all trying to do the common good for the project, you know, and it is our job to help the character understand themselves and, and giving them that environment, which you have always done. And also to collaborate with the production designer, making sure that we just stay, we don't get too kitschy. Prop masters sometimes might bring a little kitsch to something. Stay within the theme. And you only know that by having these conversations mm -hmm. and coming in early. Mm -hmm. You said something. I used to start the week after the decorator, giving them a chance to set up their office, get have a meeting with the designers. Then I come in. First thing I do is look at the design walls, see the color palette, see what's going on. 
making sure that my thought pattern is is engaged with the production designer before I even have my first meeting with the director. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know he's been her earlier than me and I know he's been looking at locations, which I'm grateful to you for instigating people like Kakai and people that are really good at helping to give that designer the first look of whatever state, country or city you're in, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm number four. Well, not number four, but in this run for the last six years into the academy, I was the fourth one allowed in, and I have to thank you for that. I mean, you have enriched my life and the life of so many others just by your humble changes that you want to see happen and that continuity that we're losing. Well, I appreciate that, Hope. I really do. I I do want to say that um, (laughs) there are times when I don't know where that character's going, and I'm not getting any feedback. And to go, be able to go to... Chris Call, Hope Parrish, the prop master, and say, God, have you had any talks with the director? I mean, is he cluing you in as to what he thinks or the actor? Because I'm not going to have a conversation with the actor nine times out of ten. Really? It's just not going to happen. But you are. Yes, absolutely. And you may get something that I can latch on to. So I, I, I embrace that. It's so... I need it. <laughs> so have have there been actors that come to you who actually want to have a conversation with you about the set decoration? I guess we have to go back to Russell Crowe. <laughs> right, of course, of course. I, I know you said that story, and I thought, wow, that guy's just amazing. I mean, that's just a level. Uh, um, yeah, uh, but you know, I'm once upon a time, I tried for right. so long to sit with Brad, right. uh, but it it just never happened. Sure, and and I guess he didn't feel he needed to. Right, but in in, in other films, well, like with the Coen Brothers, yeah. I mean. Uh, oh well, the door is open. Right. Oh my gosh, just and that's a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, Peter Ware on on the Truman Show, uh, a joy, a joy was Terry Gilliam on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Right. Oh, and for me. That was a special movie because I was at Rolling Stone when Hunter Thompson wrote Fear and Loathing in Fantastic. Las Vegas. So I was living it. And I was living it. And so he knew that. And so he embraced it. And that was a case of Johnny, Johnny Depp, t- Terry bringing Johnny to my office at, uh, uh, and saying, will you talk to, to Johnny about what it was like? And that was like really special. But um, Kevin Costner's great that way. Nice. You know, we want to sit with Kevin and talk about who the character is. Um, yeah, it's just Fincher was great that way too. I mean, Fincher, my experience. Mm-hmm. But every director and has a different way of approaching, mm-hmm. absolutely, and a different way of of utilizing their production designer to sometimes mm-hmm. cap the conversation, yeah, because they're focusing on something else. Or sure. Like Quentin, you know, writing the script. There's no one better you can talk to than Quentin. And you said QT earlier, so yeah, Quentin right. Tarantino, for those who don't know who that is. Yes. Um, but, you know, his process for me as a prop master was amazing. But I know that um, there were people that um, in our production design area that wanted more from him, but it was, his process was right. like, no, you, it, was dif- you know, it was different. No, his He's process is definitely different than anything I've worked with before. Like, again, I Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we had basically two different films. We had all the Western stuff, and then we had all the the normal or the real life 1969 life 
life. Yeah. Exactly. And I wanted to, of course, because we didn't have a lot of prep, to be able to prep everything. He literally would not want to, he didn't want to talk about anything other than bounty law in the, yeah. in the Western, the Western first, because that's what was in his brain. And, you know, and I was told that, and he even said it himself, he said, well, if, you know, you could press me for it. He said, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to change my mind mm-hmm. when I get to it. And it's like, okay. So it was, a, it was definitely a different experience than any other director I've ever worked with for that, because, you know, he has his process and, you know, you have to find your way in his process. Um, and, it, and it was challenging her. I think this okay. is why we're the collaboration between like yourself and Chris are so vital. This is what I'm. I really want to see come back to our 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 job description. The prop master, like you said earlier, has been kind of pushed back, and I think it was just an evolution of like they're not present on the set because they're so busy in the television world, which I noticed started changing our position and our relationships and when tv started saying okay no you got to be in these meetings and then the set prop master came about it took the prop master away from being engaged in everything that happened on the set Mm -hmm. on a daily basis you know you know i was on the set every day on the shows that i worked on and i the buck stops with me Mm -hmm. and but i have a collaboration with you where we have an understanding and my job as a property master once we've rolled film as you know nancy and this is a thing that's a forgotten lost part of our our job description is that once we roll film i mean it's your set until that first roll Mm-hmm. After that first role, it now becomes my set. We have a, a representative from the department, which we didn't used to have, but it's still in our job description as property master to ma- maintain the integrity of the set mm-hmm. throughout filming. And I think that that's what the Property Masters Guild is really trying to bring back is the just the knowledge of things that have been kind of lost, not for any particular reason or for any pointing of fingers or blame. I think it's just... The way it's been evolving because of pace, the rapidness of getting this stuff done. You know, we used to be able to, I mean, on on Button, I had 14 weeks prep. When is the last time somebody gets 14 weeks, you know? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I, I have to think, you know, even on a small pilot, I would get four weeks, five weeks. Yeah. You know, today it's two weeks, forget that at all. And the importance of the property master. I mean, there's a rumor going around, not rumor, it's actually kind of happened, that they were at one time about Two contracts ago, they were trying to alleviate the property master as a job description that was required on the set each day. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Only on a will-notify basis. That's kind of like saying we're the e-fan operator. We only need an e-fan on those specific days of filming. Right. Well, I think to your point about that, I, I, it's the television model that has kind of destroyed the property master's authority on set. Because again, in television, we're always prepping, right? And we're not on set unless there's a problem, usually. So, I think that that might be where people are like, "Well, what do you need a property master for?" Because again, it's tunnel vision; they don't understand what we actually really do. They just, you know, it's like I, you know, we always say nobody thinks about props unless they're not there. Okay, so but they don't think about how they actually get there, you know. So if they think, "Well, we just have these people on set," you know, we that's all we really need. It's like. No, it's not. So I think that that is a, a really good point that television has kind of like diluted. And it um, started about 25 years ago. It's been a while. It's been growing and just kind of eroding some of that, um, in my estimation, you know, um, because when I came in in 79, there was a definite 
different structure. And we even had the studio system, which was absolved in 85. They got rid of the 321, like the Teamsters are, got rid of that system. And that's fine. But that also got rid of our learning place where people learned how to be a set dresser first. And you had to make these days before you could be a prop master or even take, be an assistant um, or a decorator. You know, there was definite learning things that the studios gave to us. And that's another thing that this this conversation is about. It's about us working together and bringing, bringing those people back um, to say we're not, we're all on the same team. We all want the same common goal. And it's not who does it better or who does it less. You know, if, if somebody's in trouble on set, or if there's something that the decorator needs and they's like, my gosh, they just came up with this. Do you have anything? I'll go through that truck and find something, you know, because it becomes our problem. It's mm-hmm. not just your mm-hmm. problem. You know, when we bought, when I'm doing the aviator and Francesca, who comes from a totally different world of being Italian set decorator, but thank goodness she had Alice Baker and a few with her that when we were doing the scene with Leonardo with a clear plastic hospital bag above his head i said just build the first one and pay for the first one i'll i'll pay for the next four so that the cameraman can cut and come around you know when you're doing a decorating scene of, of a restaurant you know like when you on on your show that you guys did at musso and franks i'm going to say to you you know pick you design and just decorate what it is but i'm going to buy all the rest of the backups that we need in rental off of your order, but but delineate it to me. I hear they don't even do that anymore. There's no conversation. It's it's like, what are you talking about? You know, when we did newspapers, Victor Zolfo and I for, for Zodiac, I had all the newspapers made, and then he just tagged on how many more he wanted to be, you know, built for him to have for set decorating pieces. I, I honestly hope I cannot imagine a world in which I'm not – best friends with the prop master yes i know it's just absurd to me and to hear that this that this is how you guys hear things going on it's it's like just ridiculous and yet i i believe you i believe you um i uh when i get called for a film the first thing i say is who you thinking about for props right because i want them to know that i want a say in it i want to make sure that they're thinking the right person for the job and somebody who's a collaborator. Right. Because I have worked with a few, that, and yeah. you take their hands and they just do that. Right. And uh, it's, 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 not, uh, it's not very fulfilling. Yeah. Well, and that's so new to the industry because for 100 years there was the collaboration. You know, for 100 years there was that co- open conversation, and it's only been in the last few years where it's, gotten more like i'm on an island you're on an island oh no i don't have a boat to get to you forget it right. you know <laughs> well I, I i also think everybody is at the mercy of less time less money yeah right uh yep. you know the the it's it there everybody's been put in this boat uh you got your union contracts that get negotiated because uh for the good of everything it's the it's the pension it's the it's the health and welfare it's it's the little race but Within, for instance, our local 44, you know, how many prop masters are there? How many set decorators are there? How many prop makers are there? How many special effects? How many greens? So we are a kind of local made up of, I don't know how many, seven or 8,000. Yeah. But I think there's like a couple of hundred decorators. There's probably a couple of hundred. So they're not going to zero in on our issues. And 
specific things for the contract for our branch, so right, to speak. Right, right. And that is just part of the bigger picture of a problem with our union. Well, I, I agree with that. And and again, like you said, when you you're vetting a production designer, that's just, and, and and productions in general, that's what I look at too. Looking at it, it's like you know, what's your culture about what we do? I mean, is this going to be a show where you know you just want to like do everything as cheap as you can, and you don't want to give me enough time to do all this? I just I don't have an interest in doing that anymore. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like, uh, and, and again with the decorator, and I think it cuts both ways. Where I think a lot of property masters have got jaded with working with bad decorators, so they're like, I'm just going to do it all myself because you walk onto a set and it's not there, you're, you're it's on you. Mm-hmm. Just like Hope said, we take over the set, it's ours. And I think the same thing with the on-set dresser. You know, set decorators are tired of property masters not being able to look out for their sets, so they have a they've advocated for a prop, uh, uh, on-set, on-set dresser, dresser. which exactly. is how I came up. I I started in the art department, I started in set deck, and I became an on-set dresser for many years before I became a property master. So I can appreciate what a uh, a on-set dresser does, but I think that that's really where the crux of it is: is that the quality of the craft has diminished a lot over the years. So everybody like goes to their corner and defends themselves where we want to try to bring that all back together. Mm-hmm. And that's again, what I enjoyed so much about working with you is that right from the get go, you wanted to sit down and I mean, how many times when, when that's almost a dying art Yeah, where you sit down with the decorator and go through the whole script together and say, who's doing, you know, cause there's so many things that are a crossover. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, we want to all be on the same page and work together. I've been on many shows lately where that's not even part of the conversation. Wow. That's I mean, I've so had, sad. Yeah. <laughs> Towards the end of my career, that was part of the thing. I mean, I'm thank God that Amy Wells was, was in my life the last couple of shows and, and people, Leslie Pope, because I didn't get to have to experience the lack of communication between decorators. They were just very gracious with me and, you know, Leslie bless her heart. And, um, I just, um, I feel for the younger generation and I feel like there's just not enough of us that have been here a while to share what it means to be together because I think it makes the job so much easier and so much fun, more fun when you are all on the same page trying to chase down that same Bible that only one exists in the world and we're all looking for it together. And no matter who comes up with it, oh my gosh, it's time for celebration. You know, I mean, it just... I can't imagine being a prop master today. And, you know, the younger people, they are, they, it's kind of like when we came in, the older generation saying, oh, yeah, these kids know nothing. You know, I don't want to be that old generation that closes the door and doesn't offer up and say, hey, you know what, you need a mentor, you need someone to help you, because I know the importance in 100 years, we want this to still be a running game, a good job, a place to work and be creative. I hate to be a pessimist, Hope, but I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that uh, it's in the cards that the old way is going to surface again because there's no tools in place to teach these people. There's nobody who wants to listen, i.e., producers, because That's they have right to there. they mm-hmm. have to provide extra prep. They have to provide extra payroll. They have to provide uh, a, 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 a place to, to have this kind of um, thing happen, and they're not interested. And so that's the new reality. 
and uh, it's unfortunate. Well, yeah. as it turns out, we, we have a next generation property master right here with us. Mikey, can you, uh, I know we weren't going to have you come on, Mike, but I'd love to bring you on and, and get your perspective on all of this as a next generation property master. I mean, how, how does this all landing with you? Oh, working with set decorators and other crew and well, stuff. Well, yeah, and exactly the the whole the the dynamic of working with set decorators. You're because again, you're new to this. So, what has been your experience working with decorators? Um, I've it, it's it's funny because like uh, on the show that I just I just did two seasons of a show, and for the first season, like I I had to battle to get just a meeting per episode with the decorator because i mean when i do my breakdowns i have i have my list of stuff to talk to with special effects i have my list of like just a i make a list for each department production designer set decorator and i want to like whether it even be at the very least a 20 minute just sit down where we can just run through our questions and season one was like pulling out teeth like there was the decorator didn't have time for me and the production wasn't going to ever set it up. It was never, ever going to happen. So I just like, I would just, it would just be me at a point, like into a set while she's dressing, following her around being like, Oh, what about this? Right. What about this? Like, uh, uh, do you want me to like, and, and it was still like, like I was just uh, a fly on her, like swatting me away where we had a different decorator the next season. Um, Julie Drock, who's, fantastic and she came in and it would be almost right after the main production meeting we had we'd almost just walk into each other walking into each other's office because we both just wanted to go through and it wasn't even like it was met with just fun like joking around and we go off of tangents because we'd find a subject that we were both thinking so heavily about that we would start researching together right there and that was a relationship that just the collaborative this just felt so good, but I still do find myself absolutely needing to fight a lot of the times to do that meeting and scrape out some time to be able to do it. Right. And I do think that this is really a, a, a problem that we deal with in television more than features mm -hmm. f for the very reasons that we spoke of, which is there's just not enough time. There's not enough money. And in, uh, I mean, I've done, been, done television shows where my interaction with the production designer is so minimal. Because they're just like, you're handling props? Good. I got so many other things, so many sets to put out. So I don't know what, I don't, I mean, like you said, maybe there is no answer to this because it is such a different world where things are cranked out so quickly and it's all about producing product and not art. And so it's not really. It. it I think uh, it could come down to, <laughs> I hate to say this. Maybe the person, some people are good decorators and some people are bad ones. So it's good prop masters and bad prop masters. And so uh, it, without making a blanket statement, it'll sure. never get fixed. Uh, Mike ran into somebody that actually was the opposite of this first experience. And that's a good thing because it will help you not get jaded and know that there's hope. And also probably give you the tools to figure out the next time when you get one of those that doesn't want to cooperate, you'll be able to phrase something in the right way. Look. Yes. We need to talk. Yes. yes. Yeah. And in the beginning, I just want to speak to, to like, since I am new in this and like you were saying to me having to chase her down, like it, it did get to a point where in my head a lot of the times I was like, man, maybe like a good prop master just doesn't need to talk to the set deck. Like I started to think that way right. because I was like, is this how every show is going to be? Like they just, I'm bothering them. Like right. I'm bugging. And I mean, sometimes I guess it's, it, 
I, I went back to thinking it after like Julia said, because I was like, well, some directors are like that too. Like you, you really got to pester to get your answers. Right. But once you get it, like it solves it. So it was like, maybe it's just some decorators. I'm going to have to work harder to try to like figure out who's doing what than others. Yeah. Well, what's really unfortunate, but I'll say it out loud <laughs> is um, I feel that there are decorators out there that if you took, if you had the manual and this is my job, and this is your job, so why do you even have to ask me? I don't do food, or I don't do this, or I don't do that. But if, if, if you're going to have a banquet, you got to have some dishes to put the food in. That's right. And wouldn't it be nice if I got it for you ahead of time right. so that the food stylist could put it all in there? And there's just so many other parts to the puzzle, but a black and white person is just like, no, that's your job. That's not my job. That's your job. And in fact... Our jobs cross over constantly. constantly. And I think, Nancy, you would be really, I think, it, I know you well enough, and I know there are many decorators that, that work in the same vein that you do, but you would be really, I think, remiss to have me pick out the chafing dishes that these broccoli should go in and things like that. I think it would be something where I need to tell you what the menu is. This is what the director wants to have. Mm -hmm. This is the plates that we're going to have. We're going to have eight people and we're going to have wine and we're going to have, you know, cognac at the end. So then that way you have the full menu, even the cognac glasses, because at the end of the day, they need to be there. And if you're putting in the first order for what the room looks like and I'm buying the backup, there shouldn't be any question about, Right, but we got to talk in order to, I cook, know. to make that happen. <laughs> I know, and so that's why, Mike, for you to have that experience, I'm sorry that you had it because it just uh, it shouldn't happen. And I think it's wrong. That more that the more that you recognize and the younger people recognize that there is, and and maybe there's this conversation today the way that it's always been done, and not that it's so old school and antiquated and it's got cobwebs all over it. It works. So at the end of the day, when you all start seeing that you can have this collaborative thing, you'll know, you'll recognize that this isn't really the way it probably would be easier or work for me. Right. And and I think for that, for that, like I said, for that second season, it was like other stuff. It felt good to have somebody that got excited about a lot of the same stuff as I did. Cause like me in my, in my travels, it was like, Oh, like the script calls for like, this Victorola record player or whatever. And I found like this beautiful one, like maybe on eBay or wherever in the thing. And then I bring it, I was like, Oh, I know like a lot of times you probably have already thought about, but I found, and then they're like, Oh my God, that's fantastic. You know, it's like just little pieces. That's just like, like if something's convenient to get, like it might be taking something off your plate and then she might get excited about what she's going to get for it too. And, and it just, it felt better because it felt like we were, we just got excited about the same things. Right. You know? And with right. the cell phone, and you can take a picture of something. If you're at History for Hire, right. getting something else, and you or hamper, any of the prop houses, and you see something, you go, hey, I don't know if you've got anything, but here's a couple of versions of it. I mean, I would always do that with a decorator. Just say, hey, you know, or and if they're like, hey, I've got too many emails coming through, just give it to my buyer. That's fine, too, but at least that communication's happening. I think another thing that'll happen is, uh, as your career goes on and you start to spread out, you might find yourself working uh, back east and, and maybe in an area that falls under a local 52 jurisdiction. And they got different rules. Mm-hmm. They got completely different rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if you end up in England? Uh, the prop master works for the set decorator. Mm-hmm. Uh, she finds all, mm-hmm. the set decorator finds all the props. Mm-hmm. It's um, There's so many different ways of doing it. Um, and you'll you'll pick those up as you go but it's 
it comes down to one thing. You got to talk to each other. Yes. You got to work it out. If you don't, it's just going to be a shitty show. Right. Well, and Nancy, I think too, we're not in the business to say no. Not your department, not costumes, not effects, not camera. Not... I've learned to say no, Hope. <laughs> well, I know. I know. I know. But, but when it comes to fixing a problem or something, we're, we're, I've always felt like we jump in with both feet and sure. try to help be part of the solution. And yeah. who cares about who gets credit? Let's just get it done so we can go home, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah, I've learned to say no too. Well, yeah, That's yeah. why I retired. I finally said, nope, enough. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and sometimes that is the answer, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, you got to get old to do that. So, you know, enjoy your youth. And I don't advocate, you know, f- to start off that way. I mean, how many times have we heard that, you know, not my job or if it's not on the page? And it's like, mm, yeah, that's not, that, you're yeah. in the wrong job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, I mean, here we are. We're in a, we're in a society now where there's a thing called quiet quitting. Okay. Where, where people literally go to work with the intention of doing the very least amount to get by. Okay, and that's what they want to do, and and that's what they aspire to, and it's like, that is this this is not the industry for that. Um, it, it's becoming that in a lot of ways, and that's kind of like what breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. And and again, we see it more in television than in features, but uh, I think we have to like rally against that. Okay, if you want to, if if you have a, if you want to be a great property master, you have to advocate for the props. You have to advocate in, in, in your collaboration with everybody. Because, again, like you said, Michael, you know, you're, we have to collaborate with everybody, you know, with sets and, and stunts and, and special effects and makeup and hair and mm-hmm. wardrobe, the whole nine yards. And to me, that's what it's all about. That's the fun part of it. Okay, I don't want to work in a vacuum. It's a filmmaking as a collaborative effort. Okay, so I think that, you know, for all the young property masters out there, I just say, just keep pushing. Okay, not in a mean, negative way, but just in a like, hey, man, we're, we're going to work together. We're gonna, I'm going to help you with this. You know, let, let's, let's figure this thing out, you know, because on the day, if it isn't there, they're going to come after both of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it's wrong. So let's just work to get it right. You know, and sometimes that's hard. It's an uphill battle because especially when production doesn't care. Yeah, <laughs> well, and you want to be careful, too, as a young prop master, that if you're not getting the getting conversations out of you know, your counterpartners with set decorating and, and, and design, being careful when you go to the director, because that's who I basically report to as a property master. My last say is with, with that person. And uh, the designer's collaboration, set decorating's collaboration, is so is costumes. But if I, if I pick, bring something to the table that m- the director was hell-bent on, and I had this happen to me, and where I'm, I'm like, okay, that's what you want. That's what I want. Make sure everybody knows this is what I want. And then I bring it back and they're not happy about it because it takes them out of what their vision was. I can't fight that battle. All I do is be the messenger. I begin building it, finding it, locating it or whatever. But then it's up to the designer. If this is something you really hate and you really don't want to, it's your argument to go talk to that person because I have to fulfill what the director wants at the end of the day. Sure. You know, well, and budget-wise. Yeah, and it cuts both ways as well mm-hmm. because I know, like, on again, on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, and this hasn't happened much in my career, where there's a, something on the set um, that Nancy put there that the actor takes a liking to, and it's like, that has now become a hero prop, like that, that mm-hmm. pour in a clip, or... Um, 
Rick's house. Yes. His behind his bar, that big giant bottle that tips yep. forward. You put that in there. Yeah. And Leo DiCaprio came in and saw that, and he's like, "This thing is awesome." We're like, "Okay, we got to make it work." And it's of course it's already working because you put it in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and we just had to clean it out and you know and put the whatever he wanted to drink in it, and then that you know, and again for us it's a little unnerving because there's one. And, and we it, lock it up at night because there is know, only one. You know, and it, and it moves. So, you know, good God, is that thing getting a break off at any point in time? But but it didn't. And it was great. And it was a beautiful thing, you know. And it's just like, you know, and so there's part of me that's like, oh, well, it wasn't my prop. But, it's, but you know, but it was Nancy's and she's fantastic. And, and, and it's going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen though, where um, it, the actor comes in and does something like that and I and then Setex just gotta hand it over to you. Right. And sorry there's only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't break it. No, I know. It was it was he, he was good with it though, so thankfully that but that, but that that makes me think of breakaways and, and all the issues that we always have uh whenever there's stunts and breakaways right. and having to Matching. having to work together with that one. Yes. As well as effects and yeah, it, it's um. Everything, everybody's on board on when it becomes to like a big fight scene or something like that. I remember Garrett Lewis years ago was asking me on a on a eraser, you know, we have these big settling tanks blowing into the air, and he said they're props. I said no, they're stationed and they're blowing in the air. That's a set decorating piece. But if Arnold went over and picked it up and threw it across the room, now it's a prop. But they were in the worst way trying to figure out how we could absorb it because their budget was tight too. But you have to know the delineation. And I think we talked it out. Mark Woods and I figured out how we could do it together. And, you know, I, that, that's the stuff that you can't just assume that's a conversation, you know, and had, had those, had they just assumed, Oh, that's a prop. They wouldn't have built them or had the conversation with me about building them. Then they wouldn't have been there on the day. Right. So, and, and I also think that that's a point in time also where you have to advocate as well. Like when it comes to, because oftentimes the struggle between is this a prop or is this set deck becomes about budget, mm-hmm. you know, where everybody's budget is tight and, the, and they're like, well, I don't have any money for that. And it's like, well, I don't really have money for that either. So let's just go to production and say, this is what this is going to cost. I don't know where you want to code this, but we want to get it done. You know, and so uh, it, uh, that's worked for me in the past because, again, you know, otherwise you, you just, it could devolves into this pettiness. And that's another really good reason for the, the two people to sit down, the prop master and the set decorator, right from the beginning to go over it so that when you have to turn in your budget, right. um, somebody's got it covered. Yes. And at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter who's going to do it as long as exactly. somebody's put some money in there That's for it. That's it. It's all their money. And uh, figure it out later. Yeah. But it's it's amazing how often it, that doesn't happen. Yes. Well, I mean, again, we all know after all these years that prep is everything. Preparation is everything. Yeah. Okay. And so the more that you could prep and prepare for and plan for things, the, b- the better your outcome is going to be. Yeah. Absolutely true, Chris. My dad always said, make sure you prep the entire script as much as you can and prep hope because every day something's going to come up. (laughs) Every day you're going to have to make room for the new item that they just thought of. Yep. In my mind last night, in my dreams, I I had this dream and this is what I saw. (laughs) Oh, God love Bob Zemeckis. Every day Uh, on Forrest Gump, he'd come to the set and say, okay, I had a dream last night. And we'd all go, oh. Right? Forrest Gump. My God, now that was a show for you. I mean, talk about that. I mean, Um, what? It was quite an adventure. Actually, I thought it was probably going to be 
the worst movie ever made, but really? um, it was pretty wonderful. Uh, it was hard because we were, um, we were down in South Carolina, and um, uh, uh, weekends were spent on the, doing the running, and finally, Tom figured out once the beard started to grow, his he has a brother that looks like him. So his brother took the weekend work once the beard was long <laughs> enough, and you didn't recognize that it wasn't Tom Hanks running. But um, but so that that was a busy, busy show. And then we bought the all of the the end of it uh, to um, to Los Angeles. Uh, wow. But you yeah. had one of the best. You had Robin Miller. Oh, Robin, yeah. You know, yeah, Robin Miller, wonderful man. Yeah, so again, you've, as with production designers, you've worked with a lot of the best property masters in the business, too. Are, are there ones that stand out for you, and why? Well, there are so, but I don't think I should say anything. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, there's, okay. um, I haven't I mean, had too many had bad favorites, right? Okay. Of course, yeah. but I'm sitting next to the favorite. Oh. Um, I, I, I let me put it this way: There's been a few that were just dreadful, sure, and that uh, is really upsetting. And, and in the cases where there was somebody there, it was not my call. Right. Uh, usually, the director was choosing the person mm -hmm. for whatever reason, or or the unit manager. Right. Uh, and when that happens, uh, and that person knows they're protected by those situations, they are not interested right. in collaboration. Yes. They don't need to. They, they, and, and it shows. It shows. It, and, and it it's, shows, exactly. It's, um, so the, the bad experiences have been uh, a few with that situation. So you said that uh, you thought Forrest Gump was going to be a flop. Yeah. <laughs> were there other films that you worked on that you knew were going to be huge, that they were going to be really successful? Oh, boy. I mean, like Feel the Dreams. Was that something that you no, know? No, no. Really? No, um, I don't think we either one of us would have thought the film we did in South Africa was never going to be dust. aired. Wait, no. which which film did you guys do together? John Fante's book *Us the Dust*. Okay, and it was 1932 Los Angeles, but when we budgeted it to do it here, it was 84 million, and when we went to Cape Town, it was 12 million. Wow! So I guess we went to Cape Town. Hope. Yeah, we went to Cape Town. <laughs> you guys both. Wow! Okay. They yeah. built downtown in Angel's Flight on a soccer field yep. in Cape Town. And then uh, dressed all these sets, and we had you know warehouse space and things where we did our interiors and for the cafe and things like that. But um, originally, it wasn't even going to be me. It was going to be a British prop master who mm. was coming to L.A., and I was going to take him shopping to different prop houses. And then he ended up getting a show. I think he was going to go to Italy on something, and Nancy's like, okay talk to Dennis, you want to come down and do this? And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. But it was my first big, long-distance trip. and plus, plus, we got to work with Robert Town. Oh, my God. We're wow. I love Robert Town. And we still, I just saw him two or three months ago, and I still keep in touch with him and Louisa. And it, it was magical. It was a really fun time. It was Cape Town. I mean, Cape Town looked like Santa Monica Bay to me. I felt very comfortable there. And, mm. you know, the crew was amazing. They were used to the British system, but they adapted a lot of them to the American system when we brought it down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it was Robert directing. Um, and it was just, I loved working with Selma and Colin. And it was great. But it went right to, I don't even know where. It, it, I don't <laughs> think it ever aired. It was, it was unfortunate because it was a beautiful script. Yeah, and your your work and Dennis's work was mm -hmm. just beautiful. I mean, it it reminded me of of uh, 
Barton Fink in so many ways, just that kind of period feeling. I loved it. Right. And again, another one of my favorite Coen Brother movies in, for production design and set deck was Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. How, how was that for you? I mean, where did you... Hot. Very, yeah, very, so very hot. Was it shot was in Louisiana? Summer. No, it was um, Mississippi. Mississippi. It was uh, summer. I mean, we were liquid. Yeah. We were liquid all day long. <laughs> oh, my God. But it was, um, it was pretty pretty wonderful. I mean, George Clooney, anybody gets to work right? with George. I mean, good Lord. He is... He is uh, one funny guy. He's on the bucket list for sure, <laughs> along with the Coen Brothers. I still have to do a Coen Brothers movie well, before I've, I go. <laughs> maybe they'll. We'll hope they'll do something Another together one. again. Yes. Um, how about something like artificial intelligence and Mars Attacks? Something more the more sci-fi feel to it. What, what, what are, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you have a genre that you prefer um, as a decorator? Well, I I don't like shoot 'em ups. Right. I don't really like. I mean, I guess AI was sci-fi in a way, um, uh, but it's not my first love. Mm -hmm. um, I like, I love period movies. Sure, I love character development movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, even August Osage County, which was almost mm. exclusively one big old house. Right, you know, maybe ten little sets outside, but. Um, Boy, everything we put in it, it was like, okay, yes. this has to mean something. Yeah, that, the house was a character in itself. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So I, I, I enjoyed that. And then I especially enjoyed that once it was done, it was just babysitting. Right. Didn't get to do that very often in my career. So I, I did love that. And um, yeah, uh, you know, I've just been so fortunate. Yeah. I really have. Um, I'm jumping all over the place, but I don't care. It's okay. Um, Back on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, talk about decorating Sunset Strip for two blocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't just that. It was it was to do it twice, and it was to do two ends of it. One end was uh, supposed to be um, one day, February 6th or 7th, and that was shot in July, the height of tourism season. Right. And then in October, we did February Eighth, which was the night of the murder, and we did the other end of Hollywood Boulevard, four or five blocks, and it was it was a little less touristy, but it was um, well. I had to treat it like a military operation. We had this guy Adam Kirby, and Adam's almost exclusively on the whole movie. Just worked on organizing the two two different times we were on wow. Hollywood Boulevard, right. and and because these stores are open for business, you couldn't get in them until day before day of no it's tough it's yeah. tough i mean and, and obviously you know we have our, our assistants are huge to us to you your, your lead man is like your key person right oh two people mark weisenflew lead man and then sarah philpot my right. assistant set decorator those are like your right arm and your left arm and i think any of us would agree that we're only as good as our team. Absolutely. And I know my team is aces. They're they're just extraordinary, and that didn't happen overnight. Right. Um, we we're a well-oiled machine. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and you hang on for dear life now. Oh, you do, you do, you do, and and you get out of sync. Like um, that's just the way life is sure. in our biz right now, especially these days. Uh, it's harder and harder 
um, to keep the team together. Well, just you know, the climate, the the, the strike talk, and right. the, the 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 going out of town for for film incentives, or you know, no, you can't take anybody. Well, then I don't want to do your movie. You right. know, you have to make some serious decisions yes. as to what's important to you to for your job. And if it's if it's a if it's just a paycheck, okay. You can go out of town, take a chance. Hopefully, you'll find some crew that'll help support you. But if you're trying to really get your feet wet with something, you're going to have to make some compromises there. And um, you figure out what's important to you. And one of the things I think most people would agree is their team. Yes, and being having and the, and that production has the respect to pay that team. That's it. None of that nickel and diamond stuff. It's getting really boring. Yeah, I agree. Um, are there any films that you turned down that you regretted not doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know, it's not so much turn them down so much as they were up and running and then they went away. Uh, Memoirs of a Geisha. And then it went away, and when it came back, it was a different director. When we were doing it, it was Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. And then it came back, I think it was Rob Marshall. So it came back different. We, Lincoln, uh, that was timing because it was, Stephen did end up doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, started Minority Report. Stephen got ill, so shut it down. And when it came back, it didn't come back as Minority Report. It came back as AI. Right. And after AI, he did Minority Report. I see. Um, so there's been a lot of those. Sure. Uh, Chicago 7, which at the time was Stephen, and then it became um, Aaron Sorkin. Mm. So, y- you know, there's a... Right. Oh, I know one that went away that I would have loved to have done. George Miller, who did Mad Max. Um, Carl Sagan was alive, and George was uh, doing Contact. Uh. And then Carl, uh, Carl got sick and, and, and he, he died. And, uh, and so the, the project went dormant. And when it came back, it came back with uh, Robert Zemeckis. I see. And so our business is timing. Yes, it really timing. is. Timing, yeah. Well, I know what I want to ask you. What do, you uh, do you have anything that you're working on now? I mean, well, The Coen Brothers was your last film, right? Uh, Ethan's movie. Or, I mean, yes, yeah. I, 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 I'm sure the studio won't let him call it this, but but the working title was Driveaway Dykes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's. A I'm no sure. <laughs> I'm sure that's not going to happen. But uh, we got a lovely crew gift, a, a nice ski cap with Driveaway Dykes written on I it. I love so, it. Um, we'll we'll see what it comes out called. Uh, but that was that was a challenge because we went to Pittsburgh, but it was a road picture to Florida. And let me tell you, there are no palm trees in Pittsburgh. Nope, there are not. I was there. And especially in the winter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there aren't There's any no leaves. There's no trees, period. There's no leaves on the trees. <laughs> so I'm going to be real curious to see how that picture looks. Wow, that's fantastic. But it was fun. And um, so do you, is like retirement in your wheelhouse at all, or are you just going to just keep going? I mean. Well, I'll keep going as long as somebody asks me, and the project is interesting. Right. I, uh. I love what I do. I still love what I do. I, I just I, I've been very fortunate. A lot of the problems that we've been talking about today um, haven't been in my wheelhouse. I've been very lucky, and I know that, and I appreciate it. And when I hear how much uh, other people go through, uh, it it it's it's I'm, I get sad. But um, uh, I I'd like to just keep going as long as I can. But 
boy, I'm going to check you out before I uh, before I take that job. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. So do you, or, well, I'm, all right, the other thing I want to ask you is, what do you do with your downtime? I mean, do you, like, I'm, I'm assuming your life gets put on hold for the most part when you're... I paint. You paint. Nice. So... Mostly, um, uh, I, I, I take a lot of pictures of the crew, mm-hmm. try to catch them in compromising positions. <laughs> uh, not always lucky, but I can adapt. But um, So I, I, I do that a lot, yeah. So uh, oil or acrylic? Watercolor. Watercolor, wow. But not Beautiful. traditional watercolor. Right. Yeah. I would love to see your work at some point. you ever thought about doing a show? I'm supposed to have one in New York in April. We'll see if it really happens. Wow, keep me posted on that. That's fantastic. I love it. We'll see if it really happens. So do you have anything in the hopper now that you're working with? Yes, and I can't tell you what it is. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, well, at least we know you have something next. That's awesome. But that's the thing. I can think I have something next. Yes. But honestly, um, I think this strike talk is very, very serious. Yes. And... um, We'll have a pretty good idea in mid to end of April. And if they go out, DGA, SAG, Teamsters, all going to follow. That's it. Uh, so it, it could be a rough time. Yeah. Shitty time, but yes. I guess it's um, got to be dealt with. It does. I mean, these are issues that are real, especially mm-hmm. for the writers, in my oh, opinion. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I just don't think there's any easy... Easy no. solution. There never has been easy solutions to any of these issues, but uh, this one is really a stickler. I agree. Well, Nancy, I can't thank you enough. Well, it's been fun. Thank you, guys. It's really lovely. And Mike, I wish you the best in your career. I really do. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> it. I have, I have one question. I just okay. want to. It's a quick one. I tell you, where do you keep your Academy Awards? Uh, <laughs> they're just on a shelf. <laughs> And they're not in the t- and they're not in the bathroom. They're, <laughs> they're on a bookshelf, and um, one is very very tarnished, and one is very very bright. Right. Oh. <laughs> well, nice. I just want to say thank you to Nancy for that because oh, that you have done so much to elevate what we do, and I appreciate everything you've done. Well, uh, uh, probably the, my favorite position on a film is the prop master. Yeah. Well, and it shows. Um, and, and again, I guess I, we talked about Jerry Moss, but I didn't talk about because I don't want to talk about myself too much. But I, I have to tell you <laughs> face to face now. I, I know we spoke over the phone or whatever, but that night, uh, the Academy Awards, when you mentioned my name was like, I mean, that. Yeah. That I, I just, I mean, it brings tears to my yeah, eyes. Yeah, to not well, only do it once, <laughs> but then to do it well, twice. again, for me, and I know I've <laughs> said this on another podcast, but I mean, we were watching the Academy Awards that night and we had. Uh, paused it so we were behind a little bit so when my phone started blowing up I was like oh I guess we won and then I was like wait a minute there's something more going on here and then we got to it and when you actually mentioned my name my first and my last name you know because that's what makes all the difference in the world there's a thousand Chris's in the world so when you said my full name it was just I mean that you made my whole career oh Chris thank you for saying that I meant every word of it I wouldn't have been there looking as good as I was looking without you. Well, I, I can't Absolutely. tell. I, I speak for all property masters when I tell you thank you so much for that acknowledgement because it's it, we don't usually get it. So thank you. All right, Mikey, take us out. 
Before we go, I just want to mention a couple events that we have planned coming up in June that we hope all you listeners will come and hang out with us at and and just have a good time. The Property Masters Guild, in partnership with Independent Studio Service, is hosting Props to Queens, which is two fundraising events in June to raise funds for the ACLU's Drag Defense Fund. Um, So on June 10th, as a kickoff to Pride Weekend, you can join us at Angelino Wine Company. Um, There'll be food, there'll be wine, there'll be a drag photo booth, there'll be a raffle, and there'll be a few other things that we'll have put together. And then on June 16th, you can come out and pregame with us um, before the Dodgers LGBTQ Pride Night. Um, You can find us at The Grant. So there, there'll be hot dogs. There'll be cocktails. There's also a drag photo booth there. And then we'll have a raffle for Dodgers Baseline Club tickets. So for more info on that, please visit propertymastersguild.org. Thank you to everybody out there listening and for tuning in to another episode of Prop Talk, the official podcast of the Property Masters Guild, brought to you by real working and retired prop masters. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to like, subscribe, and comment wherever you're hearing this. If you'd like more information on the Property Masters Guild or have any questions for us here at Prop Talk, be sure to go over to propertymastersguild.org. Um, and we're also on Instagram at underscore the PMG. You can also find us on all other social media platforms by searching the Property Masters Guild. We will see you on the next episode soon. Mm-hmm.